Welcome to episode number 216 of the Engineering Career Coach podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. In this episode, we're kicking off a series where we will be diving into the four key drivers of great engineering managers, which I will outline in a moment. But in this episode, we will specifically be covering the driver focused around providing your team members with career growth opportunities. I will be talking with Seth Shiles, who is a professional engineer at Black & Veatch in Kansas City. We will discuss this first key driver, which is measured by a team's perception of how well their managers advocate for them to grow professionally and help facilitate that growth. Seth is going to tell us about things he has done to facilitate the growth of the teams that he has managed in his career. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and now travel the world helping engineers. And at the Engineering Management Institute, we've developed hundreds of free podcast episodes, which can be found on our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and on iTunes and YouTube. Let me set this episode up a little bit or this series of episodes up to kind of explain to you how here at EMI we determine these four key drivers of great engineering managers. And one day I was reading a book about the gentleman who created the biggest hedge fund in the world, Ray Dalio. The book is called Principles. What I discovered in reading this book is all he did to build this hedge fund was he looked at the historical data that was available for the stock market. And he noticed that there were certain things that would happen before an uptick in the market and certain indicators that would reveal themselves prior to a downswing or a depression. And so using this public knowledge that everyone had access to, he built a computer model that would predict, make good predictions, and he made a lot of people a lot of money and he became one of the richest people in the world. I thought about it in terms of engineering management because that's what we do here at EMI. And I kind of said to myself, we've interviewed over 300 successful engineers. We have a mailing list of 20,000 engineers that we survey on a regular basis. We've provided training to thousands of engineers. Can we collect and go through all of this data to discover what trends are apparent or what drivers are apparent typically in successful engineering managers? And so a few years ago, we hired an outside data analytics firm. And we've been doing this work for a couple of years now. And all our research has yielded these four key drivers that have been seen in most successful engineering managers. And I'm going to read through them now for you. And we're creating an assessment tool entitled CMAP, the Current Management Abilities Potential, that we've lined up with these four drivers. First is the C in the acronym, and that stands for Career Growth opportunities, which is what we're going to focus on in this episode. And as I mentioned earlier, this management style is followed by the perception of engineers of how well their managers advocate for them professionally, to grow professionally and facilitate that growth. The M stands for management style that's inclusive. Engineers' perceptions of their managers focus first on if their managers are providing an inclusive management style that engages the team and displays openness and trust. The third one For the A is the ability to manage projects. Project management and leadership is also, of course, a key driver, but it wasn't as strong as the first two I just read through for you. It seems likely that great managers who manage their teams well and engage with them 
have figured out these key project management skills that set them apart as well. Last but not least, the P stands for people or interpersonal skills and engagement. A manager's ability to engage interpersonally with their engineers, it actually ranked as the third most important. We've taken these four drivers and we've built an assessment tool that we're testing now and we plan to be finishing up this spring and releasing it because it's something that, in my opinion, if there's data available on what makes great engineering managers, why shouldn't we use it to help you become the best manager you can be or firms grow great engineering managers and cultivate these leadership styles? Before we jump in here, I want to tell you a little bit more about my guest for this episode. Seth Shiles is a professional engineer who builds teams to serve clients in the data centers, telecommunications, power, oil and gas, and water sectors. With a focus on building production teams and developing professionals, he solves challenging civil and geotechnical engineering problems. He attended the Burke Civil Engineering Graduate Program and holds an MS in Civil Engineering from the Lyle School of Civil Engineering at Purdue University where he researched and developed correlations for glacial till soils and holds a BS in civil engineering from the University of Missouri. All that means that he's a lot smarter than me, and he's going to be able to really give us some great pointers into this key driver. And how we're going to break this episode down is first, Seth and I are going to run through kind of three points that he's taken and utilized in helping to promote his teams. But then at the end of the episode in the Take Action Today segment, he's going to give a real example of a project where he implemented some of these and had success with it. So let's transition into my conversation with Seth with a quote from entrepreneur John Rampton that's applicable to this topic. If your manager is one that isn't engaged with your career development by offering frequent advice and guidance, it's time to look for greener pastures. All right, now I'm excited to welcome our guest for today, Seth Shiles. Seth is a professional engineer at Black and Beach in Kansas City. Seth, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Anthony, thanks for having me on today. Seth volunteered to come on the podcast because one of the things that we've kind of been investigating in our building our assessment tool for great engineering managers, one of these key drivers that we found is the ability to support the growth of your team members or your staff or your employees in terms of their own professional development. And Seth, you know, when I put that out there, it seems like this was a topic that's of interest to you. Yeah, it is. So today I want to go through a couple of different items that I've come across reading and, and some stuff that I've experienced learning with my teams and, and how to help people develop their skill sets and grow in their careers. So Seth, before we dive into this, just to give everyone a little bit of reference point here in terms of teams either you're managing or how many people are you working with today that you get to practice some of these strategies with? Right now, I'm working in our data centers group. It's a newer team that I joined this spring, so I don't have any direct reports. We're working on, on growing that team. So you kind of think of it as a small business with inside of a larger corporation. Previous to this, I worked in our telecom group. At that time, uh, I led teams, design teams, and also some field professionals, upwards of 40, 45 professionals across engineering and CAD technicians. And so in terms of this whole idea of supporting your team members in terms of their own professional development, is this something that you just recognized that was important? Did something happen for you specifically? How did you become interested in this? Really kind of the first time I thought I got a taste of this and I really liked development of 
people was when I was in college. I did my undergrad at the University of Missouri, and I was part of a concrete canoe team. So anybody that's got a civil engineering background or just engineering in general, they've, they've been on student competition teams. I understood the technical aspects of building a concrete canoe and things like that, but I really liked it when I could find somebody that had a passion for concrete or had a passion for the construction aspect of putting a mold together and, and just kind of giving them opportunities to dive in deep into that passion. I found that very rewarding. From there, I've worked to try to find opportunities where I can kind of assess people's skill sets. I can understand what they want to achieve in their career in the next few years, and then try to help them grow their skill set and identify opportunities to progress. From our research, we've really found that of these four key drivers, the idea of, you know, my manager really supports my career growth is probably the, the one that stands out the most in people that they say that the most, that my manager is a great manager because he or she is really promoting me in my career. This is definitely an important one. I'm glad that you've recognized it and that we're going to get to pick your brain here in terms of some of the things that you've done. So to that end, we've got four specific kind of strategies or action items that we're going to kind of cover here. The first one being how biology impacts behavior. Let's get into that one a little bit, Seth. This comes from uh, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. So Simon, he's published several books. He's got a great TED Talk that people could go out and watch on YouTube and elsewhere. But he gets into it, and it's just talking about different hormones in the brain. You really kind of break down into three groups. You have your independent hormones, so endorphins and dopamine. You have interdependent ones, which are serotonin and oxytocin. And then you have kind of the fight or flight one, which is cortisol. And so that really drives a lot of how we act and interact with each other. That's interesting because I think that in terms of management, a lot of managers aren't sitting around thinking about these chemicals in the body per se. From my own research as well, and I've read quite a bit of Cynic's work, it's important because that determines how people relate to you and interact with you. And in terms of great managers, if you want to get that interaction and the relationships with your team that can help you build a strong team, you need to think about how they're going to be reacting to things based on that. Yeah. So in terms of this point, what's the benefit of being aware of this? Does it just help to drive some of your interactions with people? Yeah, I would say so. And I think probably the three to kind of focus on are the serotonin, oxytocin, and the cortisol. The first two deal with human interactions. So with serotonin, you're dealing with pride of accomplishment. Basically, you could have two parties, multiple parties, and one might be sacrificing for the good of the other. So if you think of like a college graduation, parents, they're sacrificing for their children, their education to be better and to achieve that degree. When that student walks across the stage, not only is the student feeling pride in that accomplishment, but the parents are as well. So it's a team effort. When you think of the workplace, a promotion could be that way. I remember that the first time I had a professional that was promoted underneath me and I could see their growth over time. I could go to my boss and say, hey, here's what this person's doing. They're knocking it out of the park. I think we should consider them for a promotion. When the promotion was approved, like not only is the professional excited, but then like there's that serotonin inside me. Like I'm excited too. I'm happy that they're growing and they're being recognized for that growth. So it's a two-part system. Then when you kind of get into oxytocin, this is uh, acts of generosity. 
you're building trust among the team and you kind of get into the safety and vulnerability with each other. And so as you build that trust, you're willing to take more risks with those people. So those are the kind of the team building hormones. On the other side of it, you have cortisol. So cortisol is very much kind of that gut feeling that something's not right. There could be a threat and it's made for a short-term response. So if you think maybe like a fire, the point is to get out of a burning building, get to safety. So it's good on the short term, but in long-term situations, which office environments can produce this long-term response and it creates stress and anxiety. So as a manager, you have to understand the environment that people are working in and make sure that there aren't rumors going on, lies or backstabbing, office politics, any of those things that we all know is bad for the work setting. If they persist, it will drive up cortisol levels and it creates stress, anxiety of all those are involved. It also prevents serotonin and oxytocin from existing. So it's kind of, you know, the opposite side of the coin. And it can also, I believe, make people defensive, right? Like if they can act more on the defensive as opposed to being like proactive or just being comfortable in the work that they're doing, you tend to make decisions because you don't want to be called out on it or something along those lines, if all those other things are surrounding you that you mentioned. Right. So you're gonna, people will start putting up individual barriers to protect themselves. You'll start to lose team collaboration, and then it can spiral downward from there. So as a manager, it's something to be aware of, of working to promote trust, promote accomplishment among the team, and work to remove rumors and office politics, things like that. This is great stuff in terms of you know the corporate workplace. And I think that you'll see a lot of analogies for this in your own life outside of work, potentially. I know for me, as Seth is rattling some of those off, I have young kids and I coach a lot of their sports. You're coaching a sports team and you see somebody make a great play as the coach to be able to go up to them and say, hey, that was a great play right there, but you're doing a great job. Or not to say that can certainly cause these different reactions, right? Like reinforcing the good behaviors. This can apply, I think, in all aspects of leadership, parenting, teaching, corporate management. It's an important aspect not to be overlooked in how people's physical makeup drives their response and maybe their future performance, so to speak. So I think that this was a really good one to start with. So transitioning into the second one is leader-leader versus leader-follower. Talk about that one, Seth. So this comes from Turn the Ship Around by David Marquette. He's a retired captain in the U.S. Navy. He is tasked with leading a submarine, the USS Santa Fe. So it's 135 men, $2 billion vessel. So a lot of responsibility there. And so previously, there had been some turnover issues and some morale issues with that. Prior to taking over that boat, he was training to, to lead a different submarine. So you have different classes, different setups. So he was training for a specific one. And then as he approached his time to lead, they said, actually, we need you to go lead the USS Santa Fe. So he's getting involved with that. Leader, leader versus leader follower is something that he worked on developing with his crew during his commissioning of that ship. Leader, leader is basically teaching and pushing decision-making authority and knowledge down the chain of command. So I would say more of a, a typical hierarchy, especially in the corporate world, 
uh, traditionally has been leader follower. Decisions are made at the top and they come down. So this is working on training people up so that they understand the whole chain of command. It gives them, with that knowledge, more freedom to make decisions. Basically, what you're looking at is leader-leader is developing a system for long-term success after the current leader is no longer present, after that tenure. It's taking a long-term view of the team, the company, the organization to set it down a path for long-term success. Interesting. So basically, the philosophy is when you're doing leading delegation training of any sort, you're doing it with the mentality of, I want to help this person replace me. Right. If you want to think about it from maybe, I wouldn't say a selfish side, but if you want to think about it in a way that you want to be promoted yourself. If you don't have anybody on your team that can fill your spot when you move on to your next role, it may be hard to convince your boss to promote you to that next opportunity. So by training your replacement, allows you the freedom then to go on and tackle your next challenge. Allows you to progress in your career, essentially. Exactly. That's probably in some ways, I don't want to say easier said than done, but I think people could grapple with that a little bit. They might think like they're leading themselves out of the job. But to your point, one way to think about it is you're leading yourself to the next step and you have to have a strong support team to help you take over your current position. What are some other things that you need to think about if you're kind of going through that mentality? I guess one of the benefits I like of of leader leader is if you have an individual that's making all the decisions at the top and instructing people what to do, you're limited based on that individual's skill set, their knowledge, their past experience, their abilities. And we can get into that with some scenarios from the book where if they would have relied solely on one individual's experience, there would have been a failure. Whereas when you train people and help them develop and grow, you're spreading the responsibility across the team. Now, ultimately, the person at the top is still in charge, but they can delegate some of those tasks and some of the knowledge and decision-making, which then reduces that point of failure at any one person because the team is stronger as a whole. So you're kind of like, in a sense, like kind of minimizing risks to the team overall because you're diversifying in terms of the different skill sets that are available to the team at that point, because it's not just you anymore. You have maybe a couple of people that you've trained with different skill sets. So they eliminate some of the gaps that might've been there in the past. Exactly. That's interesting. And I guess if you do that, if you take this leader-leader approach, you can take a very methodical approach with it where you can look at the person that you're training or the people that you're training to take over your position. And you can say, here are the skill sets you need for this position. Here are some of the experiences that would be beneficial. So we either need to train people in these different experiences or skill sets or find people that have some of them and help them to hone them or something along those lines. Right. So I think it's good as a supervisor has been in a job position for a while, they understand for the most part what's required to do that job successfully. So they they can list out those skills and requirements and then go through with the direct report and say, what are your skill sets? What do you have? And kind of compare the two. From that, you can look at any areas that need improvement or need growth and work on a plan with the individual to grow their skill set, help better prepare them for the next opportunity. The first one we talked about, the physical makeup or the physiological makeup of someone considering that and your communication with them and your actions. 
The second one, we've talked about leader leader approach where you're training people to ultimately replace you so you can continue to progress. And now we get into the third one, which I like and I think is sometimes underrated, which is the feedback process. Talk about feedback. This kind of dawned on me early on when I was leading a team that the team was performing well, but you know, I was kind of wanting more. It had to do with some of our documentation of how to document things in spreadsheets and then how we're going to review that, uh, the drawings that go with those calculations. I realized like I hadn't instructed or told my team that that was a value to put information in a notes section in the spreadsheet that I'm going to use that to review drawings. I hadn't told them to have them figure that out on their own. That's not realistic necessarily. It's not uh, fair, maybe. What I decided to do was to set up monthly meetings with them. So 30 minutes every month. One of the big reasons, if it's on the calendar every month, it shows that both the supervisor and the individual are committed. On a monthly basis, it allows the individual some time to make some improvements that can be measurable. If you give somebody feedback and then you come back the next week, I don't know how much progress they may have made. Maybe, depends on the skill set. But on a month, it's more um, measurable, I think. So a good book where I learned about that is Permission to Screw Up by Kristen Hadid. And she talks about giving feedback in three ways. It's feelings, behaviors, and impact. So start with the person that's giving the feedback. Start with their feelings, how the, the situation makes them feel. This reduces argumentative conflict between the individuals because it's one person's feelings. It's kind of harder to dispute somebody else's feelings. The second one is the behavior of the individual you're giving feedback to. You can use this both ways, either of areas for improvement, what may be lacking, or in recognition of what they're doing well. And then the third one is the area of impact. So how does that behavior create a positive or negative? And by being specific with these three, it then gives people, it either shows them areas where they need to improve and why, or it shows them what they're doing well and it acknowledges their contribution. First of all, just the whole idea of feedback, I think is super important and not given that opportunity is not given enough. But what I really feel is one of the biggest challenges in the engineering world in terms of manager or supervisor and staff relationships and just career development and progression is we tend to have these annual performance reviews. We meet with our supervisor once a year. We fill out a, sometimes it's a generic form, not for everybody, but in a lot of cases, you give the form in, they might review it a couple hours before your talk. And then like, you may not talk about it again for another year. It's not a very authentic message to the person working, person trying to strive for success because it seems like there's not a lot of attention focused on their development. But in this process that you've laid out here where you have monthly meetings, as you said, it shows commitment for both parties that they're committed to improve and to get better. And really what it tells me is that in terms of just general career progression, if you're working on it on a monthly basis as opposed to a yearly basis, it's obvious that there's much more interest shown to the progression of that individual. Right. Right? As opposed to the yearly review. There's something that's pressing. I say don't even wait a month. If it's, if it's an issue that needs to be dealt with that's negative, deal with it before it can get worse. And if it's something that Spy did that goes above and beyond the expectation, I say recognize them for it. Don't wait. Because to your point, if you wait a year or even a month could be too long, but if you wait a year and in, you know this coming January, we meet 
and you give me feedback on what I did well or didn't do well from last February, my first thought is, why'd you wait so long to tell me? I've been doing something wrong since February. I wish you would have told me I could have fixed it and moved on. There is a place for the annual review, I think. But for immediate feedback, you got to be having this ongoing conversation on some regular interval and then in between as, as required. If I'm putting myself in the perspective of the working engineer for a moment and I'm meeting on an annual basis, it's much easier for me to say, last month you told me to try to work on some of these things and I've been working on them and I think I've made some progress just because it's not that long of a time period for me to come in and say, you know, a year ago you told me to work on these things, but a lot has happened in the last 12 months and those things might not even be relevant anymore. I just think that the bite-sized versus a year, a month is really more of a bite-sized time frame to be able to really focus and do continuous improvement. I think continuous improvement is important. And I think that this allows that. So for those of you out there listening, really think about implementing this feedback, this regular feedback. We've done it here at EMI actually with our staff because they've asked for it. And it's been extremely helpful. I mean, and that's the other thing. Most of the time, if you have something to tell someone that's critical, I mean, yes, you might have praise for them as well, but if you have something critical, I find that most motivated people want to understand it so that they can fix it and improve. Right. And so what I say with areas improvement, I say start in person, have that face-to-face conversation. If you're not in the same location, have it by uh, phone. Don't start with email. If you need to follow up with documentation, then yeah, do so as necessary. But start face-to-face. In my experience, most items, once I've given that feedback because people want to improve, Items have been resolved in one to three months. Then once areas of improvement are kind of taken care of, then you can focus on where that person really wants to grow and where they want to get to. And you can spend those monthly meetings talking about how to get them to the next level, which becomes a lot of fun. Those are enjoyable conversations. You're putting much more of an emphasis on their development, which is what this whole episode is about, right? By having these monthly meetings as opposed to just getting together once a year and talking about their progression. And that's what we're stressing through this series that we're doing is that this is one of the things that engineers have said, this is why my manager is great because they focus on my progression. And this is the best way to do it. One thing I would add to that, even as a direct report, I don't think there's anything wrong going to your supervisor saying that you want to meet on a monthly basis and do that. I've done that with supervisors before too. And they had no problem doing it. And they were willing to provide feedback. I just don't think it was probably something as engineers. It's not the first thing that's on top of mine. So we have to make more of an effort to do it. But once I asked to do it, there was no pushback. I said, yeah, we'll meet every month and then give me feedback on areas to grow. And that's ultimately what it takes to, I think, have a successful career. I agree 100%. If you're out there listening, you may not be the supervisor. You may be the person you know working for that person right now. And getting the feedback is only going to help you. And sometimes you need to ask for it. Like a lot of things in your career, you ask and you'll receive it. All right, we're going to take a break here. We're going to come back in a minute for our Take Action Today segment with Seth. We're going to get some of his thoughts on how he's integrated some of these different strategies and then kind of wrap this one up for you. So stick around. All right, we're back with Seth Shiles, professional engineer at Black & Veatch. We're talking about, of course, really engaging with your staff as a supervisor and really focusing on their professional development, their career progression. Seth has 
talked about three specific strategies or kind of actions around doing that. The first one being considering the biology behind it, how people react based on serotonin, cortisol, et cetera. He talked about the leader-leader mentality from the book, Turn the Ship Around, which is really focusing on training someone to be your replacement as one strategy for focusing on someone's development and helping yourself progress as well. And lastly, he spoke about feedback, ensuring that you have regular meetings to give feedback or ask for feedback with your supervisor or your team. So Seth, at this point, I'd like to ask you if you could share a story from your career around how you integrated some of these strategies with your team. So going back a couple of years, I had a new project, had several engineers, engineering technicians, putting a team together to design high-speed fiber optic networks, so high-speed internet to the home and businesses for a large telecommunications company. We started out and the focus was working on quality. It was working on meeting schedule, going from there. So as we started to progress, figured the quality and the schedule aspects out, got that going. It was about how do we start developing talent, right? We're checking the basic boxes, but people want to grow. And this is kind of where I, got, I started implementing the 30-minute monthly meetings. So we could hash out any smaller items, which further made us more efficient, improve quality, we're, we're getting faster, we're on schedule. And then also it gave me a chance to really see where people wanted to go. What I learned from that is on a team of four engineers, I had two that aspired to have my position. And I had one that was very focused on the technical side. And so then I could help them develop that. The two that wanted to have my position, we started focusing on the skill sets they needed to achieve that. The guy that wanted to be go down the technical path, I could help him and look for opportunities for him to further strengthen that skill set to be that expert. Seth, before you go forward, when you had these meetings, are these individual with each one of them or together? No, they're individual. So I'd meet with each professional individually. So like I said, I had four of them. You know, every Monday at a certain time, I just met with a different one, rotating through the month. So I always had something on my calendar, but every week it was a different individual. The fourth engineer, he was a, a younger guy, so we were working on the quality skill set because he joined the team later than the rest of us. So from that, as we progressed across the summer, we'd been on the project for about a year. The client came to us and they said, hey, you guys are doing great work. We want to expand the footprint. We want you to do more work for us, which is great. From that, we need to build more teams. So talking to my boss, he said, hey, I want you to go work on this new expanded footprint. What options do we have? somebody to take your spot. And I said, we have multiple candidates. And so one of those individuals then stepped up into my position and started leading the team. And then the younger engineer moved up into a position to play on a bigger role as there. And, you know, the team didn't miss a beat. They kept delivering high quality work on time as promised. And then the new uh, market, I worked with my boss to identify people to join the team. Same thing, working on quality and schedule and then delivering on time as promised. So I think that's a good example of showing leader, leader, where as new opportunities came up, I went to the new opportunity, the individual that I'd been working with stepped into my role, person underneath him stepped into his role, and we just kept going. And that's a really good example, I think, of the leader, leader and the feedback together, right? Because you did the feedback meetings monthly to start to learn about them. And as part of the result of the feedback meetings, you said, well, these two individuals really want to take the next step and get to where I am so I can focus on helping them do that again, where that leader leader mentality kicks in. 
Right. That's a real good example. Right. So to wrap this up, Seth, we'd like to leave our listeners with some kind of action that they can take to think about this and to kind of put this and transfer it back to the job for them. And so for me, just you know, being someone that is just learning all this from you today, if I'm thinking of something that I can take and start to do with relative ease, it would be if I have a supervisor, I can ask that supervisor for regular feedback. And if I am a supervisor, I can ask my team if we can meet on a regular basis and have that feedback. In terms of doing that, is there any recommendations that you would have for someone in asking for that or a certain strategy around doing that effectively that you can leave us with? I would say that you know, traditionally engineers were trained for technical skills. It's not top of mind to develop talent, but ultimately when we get into a managerial position, that's what we have to do. As a manager, you have to get something on the calendar. That's the first thing. Schedule something on the calendar. Talk to your people about why you're doing it. Explain the why. That helps. And it's to work on improving their skill sets, understanding where they want to advance. If you're an individual on the other side, I think you just go to your supervisor in person, have that conversation, say, hey, I want to grow. I need your input. I need your help. I want to set up a monthly meeting to talk about these and just have a high-level agenda, areas that you want to focus on, whether it's technical, it's managerial, it's financial, wherever an individual wants to grow. And then also ask kind of a, for an open area. Maybe there's a blind spot. The individual doesn't know they need skill improvement there, but the supervisor might recognize it. So then you can just say, and any additional information. I think the challenge with this sometimes is as a working engineer, it could be a little overwhelming to go to your supervisor and ask for something like this. But I think what you need to think about is the perspective of the supervisor. And if someone's coming to them, asking for them, telling you that they want to improve and they want your advice, it's really something that they would see as extremely positive. And so sometimes it's just getting over that little bit of nervousness that you might have in asking for that. And I had a staff member ask me about that recently, and I thought it was a great idea. And I told her, I think we should definitely incorporate it because it's just a win-win for everybody, for you, the team, the organization as a whole. It's just improvement. I agree with that. All right. So Seth Shiles, professional engineer, Black and Beach, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the Engineering Career Coach podcast and giving us some strategies and kind of action items for really helping your team progress, which we've definitely identified as a key driver. Thank you so much, Seth. Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, being on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Seth. He was very clear in describing some of these strategies he's implored. And of course, the example he gave was a great one. We're really interested in these four key drivers. So we're going to spend some time on these drivers on the podcast here over a few episodes. We're probably going to do a couple of episodes on each of the drivers trying to speak with people in the industry that have had experience with these specific drivers. And hopefully by developing this kind of repertoire for you that you can pull from if you need help in one of the drivers and multiple drivers. That's what we're trying to do here at EMI all the time is to help engineers become more effective managers and powerful leaders. We would love to hear your feedback or comments or questions on any of our episodes. For this specific episode, you can visit our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. And look for episode number 216. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that Seth mentioned during this episode. Please don't forget to check out our Engineering Management Accelerator People Skills Workshop for young and aspiring engineering managers at engineer2manager.com. That's engineer, T-O, manager, 
Com. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors. The strategies that you heard in this episode will be of no use to you unless you take action and start to implement them in your career immediately. To help you do that, we have designed a system that you can use at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. It combines live monthly webinars with PDHs plus a private forum giving you access to coaches and premium content focused on helping you build your management and leadership skills. Join us for our next live webinar at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and we'll help you engineer your own success.